Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching Last Action Hero. With the help of a magic ticket, a young movie fan is transported into the fictional world of his favorite action movie character. Ooh, ooh, this movie. This movie is, um... A very special treat. It really is! And uh, for this particular flavor, a very special treat. We had we had to bring on a very special guest. David, who is our very special guest today? Our guest, returning from one of our other most bonkers movies we've ever watched, Die Another Day, it is Becca from Magic Folk. Becca, welcome back to the show. Hi, it's good to be back. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but also not. Oh, this movie was something. It really was. I had never seen it before, but I knew as soon as I saw how awful its critical response was that it would be exactly my jam. <laughs> yeah, you have been on record on this podcast as loving bad movies. I do. I do love bad movies. David, you hadn't seen this before. Never. I had only seen bits and pieces of this on television. And I remember being highly confused by this film as a, as a younger person. Because it was the first time I had ever seen a film or a TV show where I knew that was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's not playing Arnold Schwarzenegger, but then they're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I didn't know what was happening because I didn't see like the first 30 minutes of the movie because it was on TV. I was like, I don't know what's happening. And this movie, I don't know if this movie is good or bad. Yeah, I didn't read the synopsis. I just I went in totally without any expectations and it it blew all of my non-expectations away. <laughs> It is such a high concept for a lowbrow action concept. The concept is perfection, in in my opinion. Like it is, especially in '93. This movie's from 1993. That is so cool. It's a really cool idea. Like we just we didn't have any of this. It just it was all over the place. They couldn't bring it in. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger said that he thought the script was one of the best he'd ever read. And he especially what? liked all the elements of comedy, action, drama, and satire in all of it. Oh, oh man. Arnold. <laughs> Arnold, honey. Well, you know, up until this point, he, he, he only had one lane. But, you know, like for, for him to get to play in those other lanes is actually pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. I just, again, I love the idea of troubled youth gets to teleport into the world of his favorite character and play the part. What really threw me off was the magic ticket is from Harry Houdini for some reason. <laughs> yes. Why did it have to be from Harry Houdini? Why? Why? Why is there that tie-in? Why anything in this movie? Let's be honest. And the timing of, I kind of half expected them to come back to the real world but it was just such a weird time in the movie. I was like, okay, it's going to be like half and half. They're going to spend half of it in the fiction world. But it's like 20 minutes in the real world. That really, ooh. Well, I kind of liked that because I feel like they had a lot of fun in the movie world. Mm -hmm. Like they really had a lot of fun with that. And I feel like once we came into the real world, if we spent too much time in the real world, it would have just been a rehashing of all the things that we had already established in the movie world. Mm -hmm. And since this is a new concept, at that time, nobody would have bought it. And I feel like yeah. at that point, the joke is done. That's a fair point. Nowadays, I would want half and half because we've we've seen this thing happen. So we're like, okay, we're onto the joke. We're in. We buy it. But this being the first time they've done this, like, eh, can we buy this other universe? Where, like, Stallone is in place of Schwarzenegger? <laughs> like, is that okay? I loved that bit. Oh, those bits are great. Like, I I love the send-up of all the other action films, all those tropes. Those are the best. That's part of what makes this so enjoyable. For oh, me, sure. at least. I did like the uh, the very direct, like, 
acknowledgments of the trouble with the movie world, like the little boy saying, well, why don't you see any average women? That cracked me up. Look, the point is, there are no unattractive women here. I mean, where are the ordinary, everyday women? They don't exist because this is a movie. No, this is California. By the way, thanks. I think it was really slick the way you got this girl's phone number. Oh, yeah. That and then like the whole thing about you're not going to say it. You're not going to say the F word. This is a PG-13 movie. (laughs) You can't do it. And I'm like, absolutely. You can't say it. That was very funny. And like you said, all the little nods to all the other action movies and just the tropes everywhere. Oh, the the buddy cop where they put two completely mismatched characters together. I loved that. They had the the bonkers knockoff guy that was Danny DeVito. Oh, yeah. Just Danny DeVito, period. (laughs) It's just, it was very entertaining. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. So we enjoy the idea of this film. But this film did not do very well. Mm-mm. It had an eighty-five million dollar budget. It grossed fifty million in the U.S. and it had a cumulative worldwide gross of hundred and thirty-seven million. This was Arnold's first real failure. Wow. Yeah, and he said so. He said, like, "This is the first film that I've have that I've considered an actual failure." Filming continued until the week before this movie debuted in theaters. No way. How? Oh yeah. How does that even work? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of stupid shit. Because this movie could have been so much better. Oh, yeah. And the number one problem is that the studio mandated June 18th, 1993 as the release date. Okay. They said, that's it. We're doing this. We're not moving it. Even after... Universal decided they were opening on June 11th, Jurassic Park. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that that would cause the problem. Uh-huh. Yeah. And even after they had a sneak preview in May, on May 1st they had a sneak preview, and it went horrible. They had long pauses with the audience where they said nothing. Critics had already seen the film at this point and were saying stuff. Like, uh, Siskel and Ebert said, it's 10 minutes too long. It is. Which I agree. And all of that got out to people. Oh, no. So they didn't have time to fix anything. Oh, Jesus Christ. Mm. And they were trying to push it to July or August to try to get it away from Jurassic Park. And they're like, no, we're sticking to this. So, yeah, uh, that was most likely the main contributing factor to this film not doing well at all thinking about that like you put this up against jurassic park and it's not really a comparison it doesn't have a shot in hell especially this movie number one being an action comedy but number two also being really fucking rough yeah and becca prior prior to our recording becca reminded us that uh, her favorite movie is super mario brothers Mm mm-hmm also came out in 1993. Um, that movie came out May 28th, 1993. <laughs> so that movie, which plays in a very similar lane as Last Action Hero. Like, sim- like uh, just similar lane. I, I think it plays in a lane that is in another dimension, but you know. You know s- another I- dimension, you say. <laughs> True. But also, very similar target audience. <laughs> There were a lot of weird similarities that I picked up on watching this movie. Oh, yes. That movie came out like four weeks before Last Action Hero. That's too close. That's just not smart. These movies should should have been those two movies. And I know they're not from the same studio, but those movies in uh, anybody who's paying attention. Oh, those movies should be six months apart. At least. At least. Then they have to go back to back. Like, they come out the same weekend and battle it out, or they have to be six months apart. Like, not even Marvel does that shit. And not to make this all about the Mario movie, but I know it had a very troubled production as well. Like, both of those movies could have stood for maybe another year before they came out. Probably. Probably. Woo! Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger also wanted this movie to be PG-13, so it would appeal to a broader audience. And for the 
first time ever he got to be executive producer. So he got to approve the script, the director, the cast, the studio financing, distribution, marketing budget, the PR firm, planning a foreign release, everything. And he actually really, truly loved the added responsibility because it allowed him that much control. So um, some of this might be his fault, too. (laughs) Yeah, if it's your first time and you just don't really know any better. This really is a case of like coming up with this giant feast of a movie. Sure. But having such a little time to put it all together. Yeah. And then it all just being a rough sketch of what it really should have been. Yeah, it's just I can see it there. But then it it really feels like they have this date they had to hit and they couldn't finish it off. They couldn't polish it. They couldn't edit out the crap. They couldn't pull back the extra stuff in the movie they didn't need or that made it too cluttered. Like, pull out all that Houdini crap that you don't need. Because who cares? We don't need it. I genuinely think the weakest part of the movie, aside from, like you said, it being very cluttered, Mm -hmm. I think the first bit was the weak spot. Because it just felt like this boy's entire life was just shoved right down our throat. And why did he have an armed robber come in his house? That that was useless. The dialogue with his mom at the very beginning Uh of like, I didn't ask to be a widow. Like, okay, great. Thanks for the exposition telling us that he doesn't have a father figure. And maybe that's why he looks up to this character because he's lacking this in his life. Like, just ugh, that was too much for me. They went to great pains to show us that his life really sucks and that he is in some way neglected. And it was bare- it was just too heavy handed. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, again, I didn't like the robbery at home. That was totally unnecessary. I like the element of him having to go to the a police station, but the crime he was a witness to could have easily been at the movie theater, mm-hmm. since that's basically where he lives, which I also think is adorable. Like I, I, I like that that's where he chooses to spend his time instead of going to school. I'm totally fine with that. He could have just been a homeless kid. I know that's a little awkward, but like, even then you don't have to get into the nitty gritty about it. It's just like, he's just a kid that this theater guy has sort of adopted it and takes care of and just leave it there. But he could passively mention his crappy home life. We we don't have to see it. Yeah, we don't have to see crappy home life. He could mention it. Like there's two things going on of this bad 80s stereotype of New York, which when it was the early 80s made sense because New York was still a cesspool. Yeah. But in 1993, it had been completely cleaned up. Like, Mm -hmm. the Times Square we know today was there. Yeah. So this is all bullshit. And then you put on top of it this, like, super heavy-handed thing when all he needed to be was a bored kid whose parents didn't pay enough attention to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, his mom has to work at night, so he's a latchkey kid, and he's, you know, in that little rebellious phase, so he goes to the movie theater. That's it. That's all you need. You don't need to explain why she's a single mom. She's just a single mom. They're trying too hard to have this messaging about him looking at at Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, Jack Slater, as his father figure and being mad at death, which is the whole reason why we, we see the movie with death in it later. Like, that's the whole thing. That's why death visits, visits us. It's that whole metaphor that he's mad at death. Like, that's why it's in the movies and it comes to real life. And it's just so heavy handed and unnecessary. Yeah. And those two parts of the film are so far apart. Very much so. Like, either really lean into Jack being a father figure for this boy without a father, or lean more into, in the real world, bad guys can win. Because that got me like that was a very powerful thing to me oh so good but why didn't we really lean into that from the start yeah see that was the thing that i wish one like after we have our fun in the movie world i wish that was the thing that was driving charles dance's character was something's different about this kid he knows all my moves he's from somewhere else i need to get where he's going because where he's from bad guys win i want to go there and so once he gets into that world, he realizes how much fun he can have. Like, I wish that that's what we like. That was more of his driving force because we get it. But it's such an afterthought. 
Mm-hmm. And it is so powerful and so cool, but that really hangs on the power of Charles Dance and not at all on the story and the writing part of this. It's and like, that's very clunky. And it's like, we, we need to remake this movie. Like, this movie's so perfect. That had so much potential. Oh, totally. There's so much telling in this movie and not enough showing. Yeah. There's, it's too much exposition. They it's, spend so much time explaining it to us instead of just like having watching it through this kid's eyes and understanding his emotion from it. Which you could argue is a problem of action films. Yeah. That's a good point. But this is where our protagonist should be pointing that out. And like his explanation should be like to Jack. Should be, don't you get it? I idolize you. As far as I'm concerned, you're my dad. Like that should be the only degree of heavy handedness we get from him in that subject area. He's already narrating the movie anyway. He is, but in a very sarcastic. Like he's of doing. A, he's doing a lot of heavy lifting. God, there's so much going on in this there, movie. All right, let, let's get into the writing because that has such a wonderful kernel and it it so there's a lot happening here so we have a lot of writers credited here another problem well <laughs> okay the original screenplay was developed by adam leff and zach penn with arnold schwarzenegger in mind for the lead it was originally titled extremely violent Ooh. so they were writing partners on this zach penn his this is his first thing ever after this, he wrote PCU, Inspector Gadget, Behind Enemy Lines, X-Men 2, X-Men United, Incident at Loch Ness, Suspect Zero, Elektra, X-Men The Last Stand, The Grand, The Incredible Hulk, the Edward Norton one. He wrote the story for The Avengers, the television series The Alphas, Ready Player One, and Free Guy. So like this like movie, like video game movies, superheroes, that's his lane. So that's cool. That's what he's continued to do. So some of those are actually pretty good movies. Um, I really like Inspector Gadget. Add that to the list of bad movies. Okay, here's my here's my my one thing about Inspector Gadget. I feel like Matthew Broderick was the wrong choice for that role. It's been a minute since I've seen it. I like everything else about the film except for Matthew Broderick, and I like Matthew Broderick, so yeah, that's where I'm at with that. And Zach Penn will be writing the recently announced Karate Kid Two and Rom Space Knight. Adam left. Also wrote PCU and got story by credit for Biodome. Oh man, yeah. Which is one of my favorite fucking movies of all time. So that those are guys who get credit for the story. Then Columbia Pictures bought the script and then they independently asked Arnold about it. And then they changed it to Last Action Hero and they had it rewritten by Shane Black. And David Arnott. Shane Black's credits before this were Lethal Weapon, The Monster Squad, Lethal Weapon 2, The Last Boy Scout, Lethal Weapon 3. At this point, he was just getting character credit for that. And then after this, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, The Long Kiss Goodnight, Iron Man 3, The Nice Guys, The Predator, and Doc Savage, which was just announced. And for David Arnott, before this, he did The Adventures of Ford Fairlane and then worked for an actor for a little bit and mostly in TV bits. So he didn't do much else other than this. So yeah, Shane Black, not the action guy. He's the cop guy. He is the odd couple action guy. His whole thing was creating the template for put two wildly different characters together Mm -hmm. in an action film and make things happen. That's Shane Black's entire M.O. Yeah, well, it works. <laughs> I know. He does that very well. I would argue Iron Man 3 is, at least in a certain section of that movie, uh-huh. a much better reimagining of this story. See, now I have to go watch Iron Man 3 and, between, and evaluate that statement. But between Tony and the kid? Okay, Tony and the kid, that dynamic, yes. That's what I mean, though. I, that dynamic, okay, I understand. I get that. He he pulled that dynamic in, okay. but worked it into a much more emotional and stronger position on that relationship. Mm-hmm. But we aren't done with... Oh, my God. We aren't, we aren't done. Oh, no. Some script doctors were pulled in. No. To do some uncredited work. Oh, that's never good. Including Carrie Fisher... Oh, okay, huh? never mind. And Larry Ferguson. But, but wait, 
William Goldman did a $1 million rewrite on this script. (laughs) Penn and Left, the two who did the original story, disliked various parts of the final film, including the idea of the magic golden ticket. In their draft, the story didn't explain at all how Danny gets into the movie. Thank you. Which, okay, I don't like the magic ticket. I think that device sucks. However, there has to be a reason how he gets in there. Right. You have to explain it in movie. And it can be the expected trope of it was all a dream. There was an, maybe he got, maybe there was the rob, like I suggested that maybe the accident where he has to go talk to the police was at the movie theater. Maybe he falls asleep at the movie theater. Maybe the accident involved him getting hurt. He's in the hospital. Whatever. That's all fine. But you have to explain in the movie how we go back and forth. Okay. See, and s- I was expecting the just a dream thing. And when sure. it didn't end with just a dream, I think I had an existential crisis. <laughs> I think that's warranted. <laughs> I think you're totally justified with that. But now that you say William Goldman. Yes. In my head. Uh-huh. The bringing death in, the heavy-handed family drama, Uh the magical ticket, Uh all of that screams William Goldman. You you want to know know what what screams William Goldman more than anything else? Lenny the fart. (laughs) Nothing. Leo the fart, excuse me. Sorry, Leo the fart. Nothing screams William Goldman more than than a long-winded fart joke. No, no, no. That screams Carrie Fisher to me. I will go on record as saying that Leo the Fart might be one of my favorite movie jokes ever. The joke itself, dumb as shit. But 20 <laughs> minutes of setup yep. for that bit. And then the way that the device in which they trigger the bomb is pulling the dead man's finger. It was oh. like, you earned that. That's chef kiss good. Y'all earned that. I'm here for this. I can't believe a dumb fart joke. <laughs> Made it that good, but they pulled that off. So, yeah. So, it's a mess. That's that's how we feel about the writing. It's one of those things where they had, there's a nugget of an idea that's kick ass. And there's just too much bullshit got put onto it. And then they made the movie and they have good people in this movie. They have good people attached to this movie. They have good people giving good performances, but the movie as it stands, got fucked up by this studio. I feel like that's the bigger problem more than anything. Well, it's a dumb action movie. You can't have that many people rewriting it. It can't be that complicated. I don't have a problem with rewrites when it's joke punch up. Yeah. If that's if that's what they're doing, but you know that's not what they're doing. Well, that's what Carrie Fisher was there for. That's, that's usually course. what she did. But for William Goldman to be doing a $1 million rewrite, he's not doing joke no. punch up. No. We love William Goldman. Love him. So, story good. Writing bad. <laughs> concept good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Concept very good. Oh, I love this concept. We've seen this. Now we've seen this played out so many times. This feels like a movie that, yeah, it failed, but a lot of studio people saw and went, huh, there's something here. Yeah. And so it clearly had an influence on mm. the industry. Yeah, oh, totally. The bit with Maria Shriver telling Arnold not to plug the restaurant also. Yes. Oh my up. God. That was yes. very good. Yes, I love that made my heart so happy. And then also made me a little sad now because it's just like, well, they're divorced now. Yeah, I know. Also, yeah. Planet Hollywood is bankrupt, which, yeah. yeah. It was never a good idea to begin with. I fucking love Planet Hollywood. I went there for my 14th birthday and it was awesome. Okay, let's move on to our director. Whew. Because as much as the writing was crap, this director, bless him, I think he tried. Well, I don't hate the director. I don't hate the director either. It is John McTiernan. Before this, he did Nomads, Predator, Die Hard. Die Hard. The Hunt for Red October. Uh Uh-huh. Medicine Man. After this, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh Uh-huh. And then, nothing. Yeah. And then, The Thomas Crown Affair, which I fucking love. The 13th Warrior, Rollerball, and Basic. And they are currently in pre-production for Tau Seti 4. So like a lot of really big movies. And then after this one, um We got Die Hard with a Vengeance. That one kind of like went right at the same time. Yeah. The failure from this one 
caused him to retreat to his house in Wyoming to take a break from his career. I'm not shocked. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of sad because, like, he was on a roll. But I also get, like, I need, I need to take a break. Because that wasn't it. Because I can only imagine this wasn't a great experience. And he had all the right elements. Like, the studio, the studio fucked this up. More than anything else, the studio fucked this up by sticking to that damn release date. I don't think I've seen many of his other works, but I definitely echo what you guys say about all the right elements were there, and he was probably just doing his best with what he had. And yeah. I do not blame him for wanting to retreat to his home. Because, I mean, that had to be a shock. Like, yeah. after coming off of Die Hard and all that other stuff, like with Arnold saying this was his first failure. Yeah. I mean, that, that has to be just really hard to take. Yeah. So I, I totally don't blame him for wanting to just take a break for a while. I'm going to go pout in, in my million dollar Wyoming home. <laughs> I need to rethink my life. <laughs> I, I think that often, sometimes in the same day. <laughs> I need to rethink my choices. Well, and expending that kind of money and that kind of energy on a movie like this, uh-huh. where you, I think everybody there bought in and thought like this could be something really interesting and different and unique and then it just to fall apart as you're trying to put it together you know i think once they all got on set they started off with all these good intentions and as they went it just felt like it was slipping away the whole time i could believe that you get that energy from everyone we do have one who could have been better Ooh. Robert Zemeckis was in contention to direct at one point. Oh, he would have been so much better for this movie. He's a goofy dude. Zemeckis did Back to the Future. He could do this. He's he's a good dude for this type of thing. Action. Enough action. With some goofies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Uh. I can see a lot of similarities between this and Back to the Future, actually. Oh, totally. Oh, Back to the Future. Well, like you said, it has a balance of action with some comedy elements, with some actual, like serious stuff like it, it's good and in that in that rush zemeckis would have been able to figure out how to pivot mm-hmm. to make it work yeah and i don't think mctiernan understood that and i feel like even at this point i think robert zemeckis would have had enough pull to convince the studio you cannot put this the week after jurassic park oh my god jurassic park is going to change the fucking game because everybody knew it was going to yes like they knew they knew what Spielberg was doing because that took freaking forever. Like you knew it. Like I feel like Zemeckis would have been able to like you're not fucking putting this movie right next to this. It either has to come out before or it has to come out several months after. Push it to August yeah. and have this be the movie that like everybody's kind of seen Jurassic Park. Let's give them something different. Sure. Even a month later would have would have helped this movie. Just one month because then it would be like everybody's already seen it. Now they can sure. come watch this before they go watch Jurassic Park again. <laughs> Okay, so now it's time to talk about our cast. Fun time. And we start with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who we've never talked about on this podcast. How? It's been three years and we've never talked about him. Damn. Wow. Yeah. To be fair, we've seen a lot of his movies already. We have, but he's never even been like in a cameo of something. Yeah. So he plays Jack Slater. Before this, he was in Hercules in New York, The Long Goodbye, Stay Hungry, The Villain, Scavenger Hunt, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, The Terminator, Red Sonia, Commando, Raw Deal, Predator, The Running Man, Red Heat, Twins, Total Recall, Kindergarten Cop, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Dave. After this, he was in Beretta's Island, True Lies, Junior, Eraser, Jingle All the Way, Batman and Robin, End of Days, The Sixth Day, Collateral Damage, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, The Rundown, Around the World in 80 Days, The Kid and I, The Expendables, The Expendables 2, The Last Stand, Escape Plan, Sabotage, The Expendables 3, Maggie, Terminator Genesis, Aftermath, Killing Gunther, Terminator, Dark Fate, and coming soonish, I guess, whenever that happens, Kung Fury 2, Superhero Kindergarten, a TV series that he is doing a voice for. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, it does sound cool. Triplets, The Legend of Conan, and he is rumored to be on a TV series called Outrider. Woo! Oh, and then in there somewhere, he was the governor of California for a while. Uh, you know, not that important. No. It's, it, you know, that there was a break in his movie making career, and, and that's when he was the governor of California. Mm-hmm. That was a weird time in our life. They had some weird kind of homages to that in this movie. 
yeah, there there's a tiny little note about that. <laughs> okay, I'll save yeah. it for them. No, you're good. But I definitely noticed it. Yep. I was like, wait, was this before or after? This had to be before. <laughs> oh yeah, way before. So this was this was his first real failure. I don't think he's that bad in it. I think he's doing great. He is a little stiff. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time he's really getting to play comedy. Every look, I mean, all of those things before he is doing just action, just mm. action. He gets like okay, kindergarten cop and twins, and twins. He but he's his whole thing in those movies is to play the big guy who's tough as a joke. It's let's take the big cop guy, put him in a room filled with kindergartners. That's a joke. That's funny. And it is funny. I love that movie. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of those movies. But everything else, it's just punchy, punchy. And, you know, for his first time, it's not bad. No. Now that you really highlight that it's his first time doing comedy. Yeah, I see it. I see that it's, you know, he's not used to that. Mm. And it's not terrible. It could have been way worse. Oh, it could have been so much worse. And then I think, okay, the next movie where he really got to play with that was True Lies. Which he aces. He kills it. Much better script. Fabulous supporting cast. So, yeah, this is really not that bad. I do appreciate the choice to slim him down a little bit. Yeah, he's not quite so bulky. He's got stubble. When he's playing Slater, when he when he's playing himself, he's clean shaven. He looks actory. But when he's Slater, he feels a little more like a haggard detective than he feels like Schwarzenegger. And that's a smart play for him to feel a little more like just a normal detective guy, which plays even more into the funny. And he kind of looks like two different people in those scenes. When they have him stand next to himself, they look like different characters, which is a smart move. Yeah. I don't know. It's a very interesting performance. And I... I think you're right in that because this is his first time, the times where it falls flat is just because he's figuring it out. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Jack Slater, when trying to pose as Arnold Schwarzenegger in the real world, keeps getting the name wrong and calling himself Arnold Braunschweiger. The first part of Arnold Schwarzenegger's real name, Schwartz, means black in German, while the first part of the wrong name, Braun, means brown in mm-hmm. German. Also, Braunschweiger is a type of liverwurst made in Brunswick in Germany. <laughs> So, yeah. I knew it. I knew that came from something. Um, and then in the German dub, he calls himself Arnold Beckenbauer, which means pool builder, which, <laughs> which is also the name of one of Germany's most famous soccer players. So, oh, that's fun. So, like, I, I love it when dubs have fun, international fun. <laughs> like, I'm like, why not? Go for it. You gotta, you gotta lean into the bits for the other audience. Sure, why not? very cute next we have austin o'brien as danny hey before this he was in the lawnmower man after this he was in prehysteria my girl 2 apollo 13 the babysitter's club lawnmower man 2 he was a series regular on the tv series promised land he was in the tv movie spirit runaways bounty innocent rain from stars and then his last credit is from 2015 called cowl girl and he has since retired from acting and has his own photography company. Cool. Yeah. So what do we think about Mr. Austin O'Brien? Bless him. He's trying. We're making that kid work for it. He's got so much he has to do. Yeah. But he falls flat because he's got that he's got that very actory feel and not that kind of general charisma feel. Mm-hmm. Like. It's not to say that Macaulay would have been perfect for this role, but you imagine a Macaulay Culkin being in that role, having a more natural feeling. And that's the vibe I miss from him. You needed a kid with a little more presence. Yes. And Austin does not have that. He just doesn't. Macaulay is distracting. Absolutely. And that like, uh, but I but I do think about that in that sense of here's a child actor who has presence and charisma in droves Yeah, that can stand up to Arnold. Sure, no. And that's what you need. You need an Elijah Wood. Yeah. An Elijah Wood. He would have been great in this. He would have been great in this, yeah. He would have been the right age, too. Yeah. Yeah, he had a lot of work to do. Like, he was carrying a lot. Yeah, and I mean, mean, he's perfectly fine, and I like, I've seen him in a couple of those other movies he was in. He was great in those. 
But yeah, he's doing a lot of work and he's just not quite charismatic enough for me to be like, oh yeah, you're you're amazing. It was either too much or too little, I felt like. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Because there were some scenes where he was like, I'm the wisecracking 90s kid. Like, it was too much. <laughs> yeah. But then other times he undersold it. Oh, yeah. Or Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yeah. Oh, that's who I was really thinking. The floppy hair. That's uh-huh. it. It's exact same look. Same, like that, that 90s little, scrappy kid look. The yeah. little gravelly voice. Little bit Lion King voice. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah, I like Jack Slater. Yeah. I love Jack Slater. You're not going to say it. You're not going to say it. You can't say it. That's it. It's Jonathan Taylor Thomas. That's who needs to do this role. Well, we fixed the movie. There we go. We fixed it. We fixed Done. it. Done. <laughs> movie over. <laughs> movie over. <laughs> Just call up the time machine. We've got it. Got it. No more script rewrites. Just yes. throw in JTT. We got it. JTT. All right. Next, we have Charles Dance as Benedict. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Charles Dance has an obscene amount of credits and a bunch of shit I have never heard of. <laughs> in part because he does a lot of narration for a lot of documentaries. Uh, and a lot of it's British shit and I have no idea what it is. He is a British-y actor. Oh, isn't it always the British? It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of British. And then a lot of like European crap. That I'm, I, just, I don't know what this is. So here's what we got. Before this. His very first acting credit is a film that we've covered called For Your Eyes Only. That's right. James Bond. James Bond. He was then The Jewel in the Crown, a TV miniseries, Town Television, Good Morning Babylon, Hidden City, White Mischief. And then he played Ian Fleming in Golden Eye in the TV movie, as well as being in Alien 3. After this, he was in Century, China Moon, Gosford Park, Ali G in the House, Black and White, Swimming Pool, Labyrinth, City and Crime, more TV miniseries and more documentary stuff, Bleak House, a television series, Starter for Ten, Trinity, There Be Dragons, Game of Thrones. Yep. Oh. He's Tywin Lannister. Child 44, Victor Frankenstein, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Me Before You, Ghostbusters, That Good Night. A television series called Hang Ups, a television series called The Widow, Godzilla, King of Monsters, and The Crown. And then coming up for him, The Kingsman, The Singapore Grip, a new TV series, Mank, The Liar, and The Inn at the Edge of the World, and A Patriot. He's busy. Uh, Charles Dance does a lot of shit. Highlight of this fucking movie. I love him. He was great. I love the constantly changing evil eyeball. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was a good gag. Loved that gag. I wish there had been, I, I, I wish they had done it just a little bit more because they do it, but I wish they would have done like played a little bit more with the, like in one scene it changes because they oh, didn't that do, great. they didn't do that. And I felt like that would have been playing more into those types of inconsistencies in action films that are accidents. That's funny. I needed that. That was that was like I need like one more of those with the eyeball thing, but I loved it. He's so pitch perfect in the timing of it and in the in the eye rolling annoyance at the ineptitude of all the people around him. Yes. Like every henchman is incompetent because of course they are. Course. It's an action movie. They have to be. But the fact that he then comments on it uh-huh. and eye rolls through it makes it so good. Oh, it's fabulous. And then when he gets in the real world and shoots the guy. Hello? I've just shot somebody. I did it on purpose. I said I have murdered a man and I want to confess. It's one of the best scenes. Oh, it's fabulous. He's, I mean, he's so fun as a bad dude. But the, I love watching him become calculating. Mm-hmm. That's what's so fun. The gears are moving and you can see it. It's so, that's what's so fun to watch. I enjoy him so much. I have two could have been better. Oh. Ooh. Yes. He replaced Timothy Dalton. Oh, ho, 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 ho. okay. Timothy Dalton wow. has that 
very, very dark and handsome look and could play that comedy. Mm-hmm. He did it in Hot Fuzz. He's the bad guy in Hot Fuzz. Okay, I, I like Timothy Dalton. I always forget who he is. <laughs> like, now that we've watched his Bond films, like, I fully know who he is. But prior to this, I was just like, oh, okay. Your major exposures would have been Hot Fuzz and Mr. Pricklepants the Hedgehog in Toy Story 3. But I only remember him as being the dude in The Beautician and the Beast. Also true. (laughs) That's all I knew him from. And even then, total face blindness when it comes to Timothy Dalton. Like, that dude. I don't know anything else. He is very much the stereotypical British actor. I'm okay with that. He's very attractive. I'll allow it. Okay. And Charles Dance said in an interview that after being told he had won the part... Turned down by Alan Rickman (laughs) because of a salary. He wore a t-shirt on set that read, I'm cheaper than Alan Rickman. (laughs) So we have two two points here. One, Alan Rickman said no, which Alan Rickman all the time, always. I will always choose Alan Rickman for everything. I don't care if it's to play the queen of fucking England. I will choose Alan Rickman. Two, Charles Dance is a cheeky fucker and I love him. my favorite thing ever now also i'm actually really glad that alan rickman didn't do this because the hans gruber thing would just constantly be there it would completely distract from the movie yeah i don't think i could have enjoyed alan rickman's voice in that role and there's nothing against alan rickman's voice he has a great voice it's very distinct but i think it would have been just a little too much for that particular role Oh, I completely agree. I like. I prefer. I, I just love Alan Rickman. Yeah, I know. <laughs> While our child actor didn't have quite enough presence, Alan Rickman would have been too much presence. Oh yeah, he would have been a he would have been a distraction in this role. I would have really liked him as like him having a cameo in this film would have been fabulous. Oh yeah. Um, him maybe in the uh, cop matching up scene would have been hilarious. Or him being just a, playing himself at the movie premiere would have been also a good grab. Or death. Him being death would have been awesome. I also wouldn't mind if he had been like a chief of police type guy. I love who plays our chief of police, who we'll get to here next. But like just putting him in one of those types of slots would have been, I would have been fine with that type of cameo. And also, yes, this is directed by the same guy. We're have like, we're going to put him in here. That's fine. Or like have him be the ticket guy at the movie theater. Yeah. Just some stupid cameo. All right. Next, we get Frank McRae as Decker. Now, we have talked about Frank McRae not once, not twice, not three times, but four times on this podcast, but only as an Arpon. I think this is a record. So, yeah. Before this, he was Shaft in Africa. He was in Dillinger. Bank Shot, Judgment, Hard Times, Walking Tall Part 2, Pipe Dreams, Tracks, a bunch of TV movies, F-I-S-T, The End, Big Wednesday, Paradise Alley, Norma Ray, Rocky 2 as the Meat Foreman. He was in 1941, Used Cars, Cannery Row, 48 Hours, National Lampoon's Vacation as Grover. Second. Red, Red Dawn as Mr. Cheesedale. There's our third. Batteries Not Included, Farewell to the King. License to Kill as Sharky. Number four. Lock Up the Wizard and Loaded Weapon One. After this, he was in Lightning Jack, The Killing Jar, One Hell of a Guy, G-Men from Hell, and Love's Abiding Joy. And then coming soon, The 50-Foot Sister. I can't believe we got a lead role for this guy. He's, I know, he's awesome. Like he, I, I, I love him as Decker. Yeah, that was a very fun character. That was a fun trope that I'm glad we got to see. Yes. Well, and they did such a good job of pushing that trope so far to its absurd limit. Mm-hmm. Like we, that, that trope is so common in cop yes. movies, but they took it so fucking far mm-hmm. <laughs> with how angry he is. And then he's still angry, but they're bonding <laughs> and it's all weird and mixed up. Like they're bonding, and it's just, I I I love that, and I just love the the call out to the complicated male relationship. Uh huh. That was great, and just that like Danny's been like, yeah, you told like you cried when this happened. Like, you you told him? No, I didn't tell him. <laughs> then how does he know about that? Like I those scenes are played perfectly. 
I would not change anything about this those scenes together. They yeah. are done so well. And Frank McRae is awesome. Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah. Our last person in our main cast is F. Murray Abraham as John Practice. Ugh. This is another person who has an obscene amount of credits. Oh, yes. An obscene amount of credits. You know this person. They have been in everything. We've also never talked about them on the show. So, before this, they might be giant. Serpico, the prisoner of Second Avenue. The Sunshine Boys. All the President's Men. The Ritz. Marco Polo. The TV miniseries. Scarface. Amadeus. There you go. Think about that. That's the important one. Important. The Name of the Rose. The Third Solution. Slipstream. Beyond the Stars. The Favorite. An Innocent Man. The Betrothed TV miniseries. A bunch of TV movies. Money. Mobsters. Eye of the Widow. By the Sword. Sweet Killings. And then after this, Surviving the Game. Nostradamus. Jamila. Mighty Aphrodite. Children of the Revolution. Babyface Nelson. Star Trek. Insurrection. Muppets from Space. Finding Forrester. The Knights of the Quest, 13 Ghosts, Joshua, Five Moon Plaza, The Stone Merchant, The Final Inquiry, Wine and Kisses, some more TV movies, The Unseen World, Day of the Siege, Inside Lolo and Davis, The Gambler Who Wouldn't Die, The Good Wife as Burl Preston, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Mystery of Dante, A Little Game, Isle of Dogs, Homeland, the TV series, Robin Hood, How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World, Chimerica, the TV series, Lady and the Tramp, Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet TV series, and then he's got a film coming called Things Heard and Seen. Woo! Yeah, I love him. Oscar-winning actor. Yep. Brilliant. He's so great. He found a character and then is so consistent with it mm-hmm. through the whole movie. He's he's very consistent in this movie. I mean, he's one of the best parts of the movie. He's play. I mean, he has that 40s cadence. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Despite the fact that he's in a 90s action movie, he has totally picked this hard-boiled character who's double-crossing everyone. And he's just, he's treating it like he would treat, like he treated his performance as Salieri and Amadeus. Well, yes, because they're going, they reference that so Oh my God. Much. Mozart! I I for I for I've killed a lot of people. I've I, killed so many people. I don't remember their names. <laughs> yes, he says that he killed Mozart, which is a reference to the movie Amadeus, which I freaking love that they are referencing the guy, the actor, and his previous works, and it's such a big deal. And then later in the film, they're playing lots of classical music, and they play the Marriage of Figaro, which was written by Mozart. Of course, it's, they do. It's just that that's one of those inside baseball things that I'm just like, you earned that one. The script is so overcomplicated, but the bits pay off so well in this movie. Practice had some of the best, like, punny type things happening. Like, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? I thought that was going to turn into something. I thought it was too. Like, once we got to New York and Jack was like, what's that on the radio? And they said, oh, it's Mozart. I immediately thought the next line was going to be, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Mm -hmm. And that that was going to be some kind of big thing. And then it wasn't. Ah, they missed that one. Oh, yeah. No, that that was a great setup. And then also his name being Practice. (laughs) So ridiculous. Which, again, is is an amazing call to him having played Salieri. Yep. Which is just like. That feels very William Goldman to me. <laughs> uh, that feels very like it's just uh, he's just phenomenal. Yeah, and so that's our main cast. We have there's some other people who are listed as part of the main cast, but they are just in the movie so little. It's just not worth it to go through all of their. Can credits. I really quickly just say I really liked Meredith Whitney. I liked her a lot. I would have liked to have seen more of her in the script. Yeah. Oh yes. Like, especially because the whole premise like in the real world was this, this is her debut. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're trying to logically make that make sense, she should have been more present, I felt like. Oh, absolutely. So that's Jack Slater's daughter. And she's played by Bridget Wilson Sampras. This movie was her film debut. <laughs> and why didn't we get more of her? She was great. She was hilarious. Like, I love that moment when she was like, hey, dad, I th- heard you were down here. thought you might need some more clothes. Yes. I was like, I remember seeing that like vividly. I remember watching that and being like, this is a movie. This isn't <laughs> like 
an inside how they made the movie. This is a this is a movie because that's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> like because I couldn't figure it out when I was watching it as a kid, <laughs> but I vividly remember that, and it's so funny. Yeah, I wish she was. I wish she had been part of the solution to the movie. Yeah. They start her character off as like, oh, no, you're going to play into ingenue trips. And then they just little by little chip away at that until you get to full on comedy with it. But yeah, after that bit, Mm -hmm. she disappears. Yep. And I think that comes in the convoluted screenwriting. If you had more focused screenwriting, you would have kept her character throughout the entire thing. Or you would have gotten rid of her altogether as superfluous. One of the two. Well, yeah, and I I just love that the joke is that since it's Jack Slater 4 that introduced this new character, it's his daughter. Uh-huh. And so I also think it's funny that it's her debut in the film, but it's also the actress's film debut. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> but yeah, we we could have used her more. It would have been it would have been fun. Uh so so she is actually one of our Arpons, but we've also got Art Carney as Frank. Good grief. Um you know that like you're like who's Art Carney? That dude is from the Honeymooners. Mm-hmm. Like he did eight bajillion things, but that's what he did with his entire career. Was like it's that. Also, um, just the fact of Frank, my favorite second cousin. My favorite second cousin, <laughs> which that I was get, so good. Which was also a, a great call out to the. Okay, this is Jack Slater four. My second favorite cousin. They're running out of storylines and they're running out of meat that can be personal to this character for him to give a shit about so tangential oh it's so tangential and then it makes me think of die hard for live for your die hard which i actually really enjoyed oh i hated that movie i know but so I, much but justin long's in it and i really like him and timothy oliphant i also really like him too so i'm like okay i can deal with this i know i i enjoyed the movie kevin smith's in that movie i enjoyed that movie yeah, so I much i know just it was quippy oof. it was appropriately quippy and so it's just like yeah it's really hard to give a shit like, I only have so many family members you can endanger. I don't care anymore. <laughs> then we have Tom Noonan as Ripper, Robert Prosky as Nick, Anthony Quinn as Vivaldi. The fact that the legendary Anthony Quinn is playing such a ridiculous character in this oh, movie. Mercedes Rule as Mom. Ian McKellen as Death. I was shocked. Joan Plowright as the teacher. And then Jim Belushi as Self. Chevy Chase is self, Chris Connolly is self, Lisa Gibbons is self, MC Hammer is self, Little Richard is self, Robert Patrick as T-1000. That was, that was when I was like, I'm into this. Let's I'm, go. I'm very excited about that. Uh, Sharon Stone as Catherine Trammell. That's her character from Basic Instinct. <laughs> she did not want to do the cameo. Of course she didn't. Because... She did not have a good experience working with Arnold on Total Recall. Ah. But he got her to do it by saying, hey, Total Recall helps your career. Do this cameo. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I feel like that's a little manipulative, but uh, he ain't wrong. We also have Damon Wayans. We have Noah Emmerich as the rookie cop up at the beginning. Tina Turner as the mayor. Tina Turner's the mayor. So. Oh my gosh. Jean-Claude Van Damme as self. And Danny DeVito as the voice of Whiskers. Fucking! I remember you being like, "Is that Devito?" I hear the voice and it's like, "That's like Devito." And then they kept talking. And I was like, "I don't even have to look it up. That's Devito." That was my reaction too. I was like, "Is that who I think it is?" I know they did a lot of movies around this time, but yeah, is it like is it? Yeah, that's him. I love Daniel Devito so much. Bless that man. That man is a goofy, goofy man. All right, it's time for trivia. The ACDC song, Big Gun, was specifically written for this movie after Arnold Schwarzenegger personally approached the group and asked them to write the song for it. What? Yep. ACDC wrote a song for this movie because Arnold asked them to. Why not? Wow. That's some fucking clout. I had no idea. That's so cool. But if that's not crazy enough, the merchandising people came up with some Jack Slater action figures with guns. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Of course vetoed that idea because it was the warmer, more cuddly action movie. But merchandising included seven video games, a $20 million Burger King promotion, a $36 million theme park ride, NASA's first paid ad in space. Excuse me? Yeah. A four-story inflatable Jack Slater at Con. And Schwarzenegger gave 40 television interviews 
and 54 print interviews in 24 hours, setting a new personal record. Jesus. Good Lord. Here's the thing. I remember the advertising around this. I was like seven, but I it was ever present in 93. I don't, but that's because we're a McDonald's family, not a Burger King family. <laughs> I just, because I know I saw Jurassic Park around that same time. And I know, you know, we would go to the movies a lot. So I feel like I saw it everywhere in the movie theaters. Like it was just a big honking deal. Mm-hmm. Seven, Seven video, video games, games. Seven video, video games. games. Well, uh, I believe when they're talking about seven video games, they're they're talking about the different video game systems. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. One game, multiple One platforms. One game, multiple platforms. Okay. Uh, that because... still only makes it slightly better. <laughs> yes, there was a video game that was released. It sucked, and people didn't like it. And there weren't that many consoles back then, I didn't think. There were. There was SNES and right. Genesis. Neo right. Geo. And then Neo Geo, okay. Amigo, or Amiga. That's a lot. PC, probably. Oh, PC gaming would have been in its very early stages, huh? They were planned. The Sega CD and Master Systems were planned, but were not released. Game Gear, Game Boy, Sega. A Game Boy game. Yeah, Amiga and MDOS. So they had, those were all set to release. Oh, it was PC gaming back in the disc days. Woo! So it was those seven, the seven platforms platforms yeah that's rough yeah it, <laughs> i hate it, that it didn't do super well of course not no i'm gonna have to track this down oh it it you you should be able to it's it's a it's a screen scroller it's a- dear nintendo you know how you have the snes library on the switch now There's <laughs> last action hero to that list <laughs> i know you just put donkey kong country out there hells yeah donkey kong country we, we've got something way better uh yeah, first uh paid ad space. So yeah, that's the whole thing. Jesus. They 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 were going after it. Why they they screwed it up so hard? Why? Writing. It's Wait. always fucking writing. <laughs> writing sucks. You can't save it. Nope. Just after Frank's house explodes, the cop says, two days to retirement." As, <laughs> a, as a nod to Roger Murtaugh, Danny Glover from the Lethal Weapon franchise, and at that point, a soundtrack excerpt from the Lethal Weapon theme plays in the background. Bless. It's adorable. When Danny Madigan is arguing with Jack Slater over checking to see if Benedict is dead after the two play chicken, he makes a reference to a villain in Die Hard who comes back at the end of the movie after being presumed dead. Shortly afterwards, a soundtrack excerpt from the Die Hard theme plays in the background. (laughs) They had a lot of fun with the themes. Um, And when you're in the video store, you can see the boxes for Die Hard and the Hunt for Red October and Medicine Man all in the background. Of course. Because, yes, you can. The words of Franco Columbu film appear on the screen at the beginning of Jack Slater 4. Columbu is a bodybuilder friend of Arnold Schwarzenegger who has appeared in the following movies with him. Pumping Iron, Conan the Barbarian, The Terminator, The Running Man, and Beretta's Island. Ah, neat. Fun. Many of the props in Jack Slater 4 are made by the fictional company Acme. Acme is known for appearing Uh in the Wiley E. Coyote roadrunner cartoons of course yep i think that's cute before the hamlet sequence where Lawrence olivier version of hamlet is shown to the class the teacher is joan plowright who is olivier's third wife and widow <laughs> noting her students apparent ignorance of olivier's storied career she tells them that they may remember him as zeus in clash of the titans one of olivier's final roles or from his Polaroid television advertisements. Yep. I love that. Oh, that whole that whole Hamlet sequence is a treasure. That was very fun. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And Hamlet is taking out the trash. <laughs> Stay thy hand, fair prince. Who said I'm fair? Oh, so good. Uh huh. Because I, I can imagine me being a kid having that kind of like mental theater thing playing out. Mm-hmm. Like, what would my favorite character be like in this thing? <laughs> yeah. How could my favorite character liven this up? And just as someone who has 
tangentially been involved with education, Shakespeare's rough. It's hard to get kids to care about Shakespeare. Yeah. It can be. It really is. When Danny and Jack are looking in the video store for the action section to find a Schwarzenegger movie, Danny is surprised and confused to see that Terminator 2 Judgment Day's poster features Sylvester Stallone and that Schwarzenegger movies don't exist. Yep. However, when Jack walks towards Danny to compliment Stallone's work, the shelf alongside the Hollywood movies at the time, there's a tape of Raw Deal with Arnold Schwarzenegger prominently on the cover. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> so great. The production designers get a shit ton of credit in this movie. They had fun. They had fun. McTiernan clearly just told him, do whatever the fuck you want in the background. Just go hog wild. <laughs> yeah. Like, go with the joke. <laughs> Like, I I just imagine Stallone, like, I really hope they didn't just crop and paste. I really hope Stallone got to do a photo shoot as the Terminator. Please, God help us. I really hope that's what happened. I looked it up. I couldn't find any information about it, but I really hope that's what happened. Arnold would have been able to get him to do it. Probably. This is the first movie to use the 1993 Columbia Pictures logo. Ooh. Ooh. I do. I remember seeing that being like, oh, man, this takes me back. Mm -hmm. In this movie, the characters are able to enter and leave the movie world via a magic ticket, which is credited to the famous stage illusionist and escapologist Harry Houdini. However, in real life, Houdini was firmly opposed to the idea of supernatural powers and spent his time debunking fake spiritualist and phony mediums. So, yeah. So, yeah, you were completely right to call this out, Pekka. Uh-huh. It, it just felt off. Like, Why would Houdini be the one? He's an escape artist. Yeah. Fuck it. If you're going to throw it in there, just have it be a magic ticket out of nowhere. It didn't have to come from anyone. Mm -hmm. It could be like, this was my dad's and he gave it to me. And since I'm your father figure for some reason, I'm giving it to you. Yeah. And I've always been too scared to try. <laughs> this cast features four Oscar winners, F. Murray Abraham, Art Carney, Mercedes Rule, and Anthony Quinn, and six Oscar nominees, Sir Ian McKellen, Sharon Stone, Sylvester Stallone, Dame Joan Ploutwright, Michael V. Gazzo, and Danny DeVito. Jeez. Yeah, Michael V. Gazzo was one of the cops. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's just, that's a lot of clout for a movie this nuts. This movie makes several oblique references to the governor of California. These are eerily prescient statements to make with Arnold Schwarzenegger later becoming the governor of California. And Nick later tells Jack Slater that politicians are... Twice as bad as anything else. Mm -hmm. It feels like they're making a Reagan joke. Totally. But without realizing what was going to come later. Well, Schwarzenegger talked about Reagan all the time when he was running for governor. Yeah, I know. I know. Which is not unfair. When you're running as a Republican for governor of California, uh -huh. that's who you would reference. Oh, totally. Especially when you've been an actor. And also, some of the Back to the Future reference. Yep. Other guy's president. The actor? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh -huh. In the beginning hostage scene, there are 25 police cars viewable from the rooftop when Jack Slater confronts the Ripper. Jesus. Uh-huh. It is bonkers. And that is it Woo! for this movie. This bonkers-ass movie. Um, so I guess now it's time to do our ratings every time we do a movie. We come with a very special rating, and I feel like this movie is asking for golden tickets. Ooh, but what about the Ripper's Axe? Ripper's Axe? That axe is pretty badass. I did really like when he, like, assembled his axe. It's like, that's cool. They need to make that on Forged and Fire. Or fake eyes. Fake eyes? Oh, fake mm. eyes. Mm, fake eyes. Okay, I'm into fake eyes. Yeah, Benedict's fake eyes. Glass eyeballs. Glass eyeballs. So since I had seen this before, I have to go first. Yes. Scale of one to five. Half eyes are allowed. I'm going to go with a two. Like the concept is kick ass. I solidly stand by the concept of this film. There are some fabulous performances, mostly Charles Dance. And this movie would be perfect for an update. Perfect for an update. Becca, how many fake glass eyeballs are you going to give this movie? <sighs> I think I got to go two also. Like. Among bad movies, this one was pretty bad. <laughs> and again, concept, amazing. Yeah. But the writing was just all over the place to the point where it was hard to keep up with. And in the first like 20 minutes or so, 
again, I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't read any synopses. I didn't yep. read anything about this. When Danny sat down to watch the movie, again, I was not expecting him to get sucked into the movie world. I was watching, you know, all the different things unfold. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'd rather watch that movie than this movie. <laughs> And then luckily, I did kind of get to watch that movie. You did. You did. Got to experience that movie. But yeah, it was it was just a little too rough around the edges for my taste. Too many themes that either didn't get explored enough or were too heavy handed. It was just too much of everything. But a lot of great acting and a really cool concept. Just tighten it up. We're just all in like very firm agreement here. Sort of. I'm going to go two and a half. Oh, well. And the only reason I, I add that half a point is it's a tale of two movies for me. When he gets okay. pulled into the movie, that whole thing, I was sucked in completely. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm looking at you like, this might be one of the greatest movies I've ever watched. Like, if they <laughs> keep this going, it's going to be amazing. And then they get to New York and they can't stick the landing at all. And it falls apart again. Mm-hmm. And so it really, it feels like two different movies. One where I'm like fully engaged and love the premise and enjoy it. And we get to the real world and they they wrote this really great screwball comedy stuff, but didn't know how to fold it back into reality. And it just gets messed up because it's such a half and half experience. I'm just going to split the middle and go two and a half. I think that's fair. That makes sense. I'm here for that. Well, all right. All right. Well, Becca, thank you for enjoying this horrible movie with us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and if people want more Becca, where can they get more Becca? Oh, man. If you want more of me, you can find me on Twitter at ArcadeBecca, like Arcade as in the place you go to play games, and Becca as in my name. <laughs> and since my last recording, I've also started streaming on Twitch. Hey! Yeah. So yeah, I'm at twitch.tv slash darkmoonarcade. That is dark as in it's not light, moon as in the thing in the sky. <laughs> and arcade is in the place you gotta play video games. That place we talked about earlier. <laughs> that other place. So yeah, I'm doing Twitch streaming, and I'm also in Magic Folk Podcast, which is a D&D 5e actual play. Woohoo! And earlier, I thought of a really funny tie-in. If you like Conan the Barbarian, and you like Kiss the Chef aprons, we can flip those two things, and we can have Kiss the Barbarian and Conan the Chef. And that's Magic Folk Podcast. Yep. Accurate. We statement. we do goofs like that. <laughs> Accurate. But we're also coming to an end not too soon, but we're we're heading towards our final arc. So if you want to catch up, now's the time. Do it. It's it's seriously my favorite D&D podcast. I would rank it over any other one, and that includes The Big Guns. So like, go mm-hmm. listen. Yep. So I play a vaguely Scandinavian druid. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. You can listen to me do horrible accents. He's so good. Horrible accents are the best accents. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.